0: On a spring evening in 2005, two young women embark on a fun road trip from Houston to Shreveport to take a break from it all. But an impromptu decision to get late-night takeout would lead to a devastating series of events. How did this innocent weekend getaway result in one of the most malicious crimes in Louisiana history? This is the case of Tasha Lampkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and if you've listened to my first 20 episodes, you already know that this show isn't sunshine, roses, and puppies. But for this one, I feel like I should warn you. The savagery of this case is right up there with some of the worst I've ever heard of. While doing my research, most of the info I found was regarding the circumstances surrounding the crime itself. And I really had to dig to learn more about Tasha's life. Be sure to check out the Crime Cave podcast Instagram and Facebook page, where you'll see photos from this case. And I'm now also on YouTube, so please stop by there and subscribe, like, share, leave a comment. All of that helps get the word out about Crime Cave. I truly appreciate it. But now, let's get to know Tasha Lamkin. Tasha Marie Lampkin was born January 23, 1975, and raised in Houston, Texas. Growing up, her family didn't have a lot of money, but Tasha made the best of whatever she had. She was especially close to her cousin, Tanya Douglas, and the two were not only family, but close friends. Tanya described her as absolutely beautiful inside and out. Tasha was very talented and taught herself how to sew. Her nephew, Cortez Douglas, said, if you wanted your clothes to look different, you'd take them to Tasha. She would cut them up, add accessories, and make them look like they just came from a store. When Tasha was a senior in high school, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named Marcus when she was 17 years old. He meant the world to her, and she meant the world to him. Tasha didn't mind growing up with less, but when she had her own child, she wanted him to have more and she worked incredibly hard as a single parent to provide for him. Being a mom came naturally to Tasha, so she figured she should make a living doing what she knows. She opened up a daycare with her cousin, Tanya. While Tasha had always loved kids, her mother would say that the kids loved her too, and it wasn't unusual for her to have two kids on her hip and one on her leg. As the years went by, she reveled in the joy of raising her son, and they had a close bond. Her family would say that Tasha and Marcus had their own communication thing going on, and it was really amazing to see. With their hectic schedules of motherhood and running a daycare, the two cousins often took road trips to Shreveport, Louisiana to relax, spend time with family and friends, and just have a good time. During one of their trips there, Tasha met a man named Donald Bromkin, and she would occasionally see him when she made trips into town. On Saturday, April 23, 2005, 30-year-old Tasha hit the road with her cousin after a long work week and set out on the four-hour drive from Houston to Shreveport in their rented Nissan Altima. The two young women arrived in the area around 11 p.m. and checked into the David Motel in nearby Bossier City, a one-story economy lodge with a large sign out front that read, For Nice People. During the drive, Tasha had tried to reach Donald, but he didn't pick up. Not surprisingly, after a long road trip, the two were wired, tired, but talkative. And for Tasha, sleep was the last thing on her mind. Once they got settled into the room, she was feeling hungry and decided to place a takeout order at the local Waffle House about a mile from their motel. Tasha grabbed the keys and headed out the door as Tanya relaxed on the bed. Expecting the scent of warm maple syrup to wake her up when Tasha returned. Tanya woke up at 8 a.m. and was initially annoyed that Tasha didn't let her know she was back with their food. But she quickly realized Tasha's bed hadn't been slept in and their rental car was missing. Meanwhile, Emergency personnel were responding to a 911 call that had come in at around six that morning about a burning car off of Coon Road in nearby Caddo Parish, 10 miles away. Two bullet holes were found near the fuel tank and the fire looked to have been intentionally set. The vehicle had been completely decimated by the blaze and when police and firefighters opened the trunk, they made a ghastly discovery. There lay a human body burned beyond recognition. It was impossible to determine the race or sex of this individual. However, they did find a single gold tooth among the victim's remains, engraved with the letter T. The license plate of the vehicle was also found, barely readable, but it was determined to be a rental car, registered to a woman named Renee Farley who stated to police that she rented the car for her two cousins, Tanya Douglas and Tasha Lampkin. Once investigators were able to track down Tanya at the David Motel, she told them that Tasha hadn't returned last night after heading out to the Waffle House. Tanya went on to describe Tasha's appearance, and when they asked if Tasha had any unusual characteristics, Tanya replied she had a gold tooth engraved with the letter T. It was then that police informed Tanya that their Nissan Altima had been found on the side of the road, burned out, with a body in the trunk. And although it would take some time for forensics to positively ID the remains, it was very likely that it was Tasha. While Tanya was being questioned, she told police about Donald Bromkin, Tasha's occasional boyfriend that she would see whenever she was in town. When they brought him into the interrogation room, police learned why he had been avoiding Tasha's calls. Although he was maintaining a sporadic romantic relationship with Tasha, Donald had begun living with someone and also shared a child together. After confirming his solid alibi, Donald was cleared as a suspect. Investigators then turn to the grainy surveillance video outside the David Motel, focusing on the parking lot. At 3.27 a.m., Tasha could be seen exiting her hotel room, getting into the Nissan Altima, and leaving the parking lot. Investigators had also paid a visit to the Waffle House to confirm that Tasha had been there to pick up her order. Employees stated that they didn't notice Tasha talking with anyone and that she appeared to leave alone. According to the surveillance video at the David Motel, Tasha's car returned to the parking lot at 4.08 a.m. However, A small red car appeared in the granny video, following closely behind Tasha's car into the parking lot, stopping behind her car and blocking her in. The video surveillance quality was so poor that it was impossible to know exactly what was happening in and around her car. But two minutes later, the red car left the lot, with Tasha's car following behind. Investigators were able to have the video enhanced with a close-up of the red car being shown on news outlets. Fortunately, it wasn't long before they got a phone call regarding who may be the owner of the red car. The woman stated that she thought the car belonged to her daughter, Laquita Stafford. When police paid a visit to Laquita, she stated she was hanging out with her friend the night before, and her friend's brother, Dwight Bacon, had repeatedly asked to borrow her car for a short time. She lent him her red Toyota Tercel and asked him to have it back within a couple of hours. However, he returned it very late. Police then asked Laquita if there was anything different about the car after he returned it. She stated that there was a pink contact lens case in the car that didn't belong to her with the name Rebecca etched with a black sharpie. After news outlets showed a photo of the pink contact case, they received a phone call from a young woman named Rebecca Speed, and she shared a harrowing tale. She said that at 1 a.m. on the morning Tasha was killed, Rebecca was arriving home to her apartment. As she got out of her car, she was immediately approached by a black male standing near her doorway with a gun. She then ran screaming toward the lobby door to the security guard and luckily was able to get away. However, the assailant had grabbed her purse that contained her pink contact case. Dwight Bacon was brought in for questioning and he immediately denied having anything to do with Tasha's murder. However, during the investigation of the crime scene, shell casings from a 380 semi-automatic handgun were found. As Dwight continued to deny involvement, his family was cooperative. And told police that Dwight had been associated with a young man named Brandon Davis, who had a violent criminal history. A task force was organized to locate Brandon, and he was apprehended five hours later and brought in for questioning. The police obtained search warrants for both Brandon and Dwight's apartments. The gun used during the crime was found in Dwight's closet. Meanwhile, Brandon's background included recently getting out of prison two months prior for robbery and intimidation of a 75-year-old woman. After several more hours of questioning, both of these choir boys broke, admitting that they were present during Tasha's murder, but they blamed each other. Here's a brief synopsis of what happened. After Dwight borrowed Laquita's car, he picked up Brandon and set out to wreak havoc. They spotted Tasha coming out of the Waffle House and decided to follow her back to the motel where they said they intended to carjack her. After they blocked her in her parking spot, Brandon approached her, put the gun to her head and forced her to follow Dwight out of the lot. After 10 agonizing minutes of driving, they ended up in Caddo Parish in a remote area where they both sexually assaulted Tasha and threw her in the trunk. They then drove farther down onto Coon Road, where she was again raped by both of them and again thrown into the trunk. But these two deviants wanted to make sure to cover their tracks. So they set the car ablaze, fired two shots into the fuel tank, and walked away as Tasha screamed that she had a son and begged for them to let her out. Dwight Bacon eventually pled guilty to second-degree murder and Brandon Davis was convicted of first-degree murder. Both are serving life sentences in Louisiana. Meanwhile, Tasha's beloved son Marcus was raised by her mom, Betty Lampkin. One of the most frightening things about this case is that it was just completely random. And I'm sure Tasha's family at one point asked how this could have happened and why. But to that question, her cousin's response is, cowards and monsters like that, you'll never get an answer. And now for today's listener question. Okay, today's question is from Helen, and she wants to know how much research do I typically do for a given story, and how do I choose the music? You know, when I first decided I wanted to do a podcast, I had already accumulated a list of about 84 cases that I knew I wanted to cover at some point. So for many of them, I already had a a pretty solid knowledge base. So when it's time to get the next episode ready to go, I typically do a little bit of research every night before I go to bed, as morbid as that sounds. Really, any free time that I have during the day, I am watching documentaries about the case, reading articles, Googling victims' obituaries. So I tighten up my research for about two weeks until it's time to record. And, you know, my goal is to get an informative, intense episode out in under 20 minutes and focus more on the victim story. So I'm really trying to do them justice. As far as the music, I learned that that is actually one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast. A lot of times I use the royalty-free music that's available on Spotify for podcasters, but I also use a website called Artlist that has a lot of different ambient music genres that I like to use. Thanks for your question, Helen. Thanks for joining me. This episode of Crime Cave has been brought to you by Fortress Defense Consultants providing security consulting for educational institutions, corporate facilities, and houses of worship, as well as pepper spray, situational awareness, and defensive firearms training for police and private citizens. Find Fortress on the web at FortressDefense.com. Contact Fortress directly at 708-522-8060 or email them at info at FortressDefense.com. Avoid being the subject of a future episode of Crime Cave. Train with Fortress today. Until next time. Hey, everybody, it's Ray the Roadie. And this is Hollywood Mike with the Rock and Roll Chicago Podcast, coming to you from the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum on Route 66 in Joliet, Illinois, where once a week we are interviewing local musicians and singer-songwriters, and the podcast itself covers a wide range of topics, including but not limited to the history of rock and roll in Chicago, the current state of the scene, and the challenges and opportunities facing musicians today. So join us every Tuesday for a new exciting episode of the Rock and Roll Chicago podcast.